Good evening, Richmond Hill. Let us prepare ourselves to listen for God's word moving in and through our lives in prayer. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Red Sea Places, the Exodus story, our story. This past Friday marked the 19th anniversary of 9-11. Most of us, well, perhaps those of us 30 years and older, may remember quite clearly where we were and what we were doing on the morning of September 11, 2001. We remember when we first learned that a plane had hit one of the Twin Towers. We remember watching the news as a second plane hit the other tower. And then a plane hit the Pentagon and another crashed in Pennsylvania. We remember the shock, disbelief, and the confusion. We thought there was no way this is really happening. Many of us, perhaps, were thinking how, why, and who. And then word got out Osama bin Laden was responsible for these attacks. I wonder, do you remember the first time you may have heard someone suggest that we pray for bin Laden? Of course they were right, and that we should, as Jesus taught, pray for those we call our enemies. But still there may have been a bit of shock and disbelief about such an idea. Life was changed that day. As a country, we rallied together, hugged strangers, helped our neighbors, filled sanctuaries, stood in lines to give blood, and united in a way that I had never seen before. But most of these changes were temporary and soon began to fade. How quickly did we begin to point fingers at one another and argue with those we had just embraced? Some changes were permanent, and life was changed forever that day in more ways than one. How many of you remember being able to accompany someone to the gate at an airport? Not just pull up and drop them off at the curb, but actually park, help them with their luggage, wait while they checked in, and then go with them to their gate. You could sit with them while they waited, maybe get a snack and give them a hug before they departed. That has changed. And in a more significant way, life has changed for our military families who have to hug a loved one, deploy to engage in fighting an enemy named terror whose face is often hard to recognize. Certainly, we are not the first people, and sadly, we are not the last people to deal with terror in our lives. It happens in various forms all around us. One of my former church members and close friend had the experience of terror in watching his young wife and the mother of his two sons die of cancer. There is still terror for someone living in an abusive relationship there is terror of someone dealing day in and day out 
with overwhelming anxiety and fear. There are some who live daily with the terror of oppression and having to make their way on the margins of society. There are some young people who have to live with the terror of not living up to the pressures and the expectations that others place on them. There are those still held captive to the terror of stress and anger of having to live in a situation that is just not fair or just. There are those who live in terror to simply walk the streets or go into a store to shop or jog through a neighborhood. In many ways, these things hold us captive. There are people experiencing these things living closer than we might think. Perhaps we could name this current time of COVID-19 as a time that strikes fear in our hearts, coupled with tremendous racial and civil unrest, along with the flooding through Louisiana and the fires in California that seem to give us an apocalyptic appearance. These are not easy times. While we certainly have lived, have certainly had things that scare and terrify us, there are other times in our country when living and fighting terror had also been an ongoing reality. Probably not a more terrifying time for a group of people than the experience of the African-American slaves. They were familiar with this story of another oppressed group of people who longed to taste the sweet flavor of freedom. The Israelites who were held captive in Egypt. This was a story that gave the slaves a word of grace and some hope that one day might come free to them as well. And I trust it's a story that gives us hope as well. The Israelite story is one of the most remarkable and powerful stories of our faith, but is one that is perhaps a little hard to believe in places. There's some pretty atypical experience that are a part of their story, like Moses talking to a burning bush. Can you imagine Moses going back to tell his wife for the first time about the burning bush? Can you just see her eyes rolling back while thinking, okay, Moses, whatever, and don't forget to take out the trash? Or how about those gathered around as Moses described what needed to happen on the Passover? I could see and understand how some people could be confused by the notion that putting blood on the front door would somehow save you from a flying angel of death. I mean, Really? And now this, the parting Red Sea. But I think we lose focus if we focus on trying to figure out exactly how all this took place. There are some scholars who have been debating for years about how in the world the Red Sea may or may not have actually parted and for how long. And was it even the Red Sea or was it somewhere else? All of that is important to consider, and I admit it's interesting, 
but it is not the how that is the important thing or the message of this text. The most important thing is that God delivered. God made a way when there was no way. I read somewhere that the 17th century French philosopher Pascal pointed out that this passage shows us that our God is not a faraway God who is abstract and way off in the heavens. Brother, this passage shows us that we have a God who acted in that time and place and acts in this time and place. He reasoned that if God can set people free in that day, then God can set people free in our day too. In his sermon, The Red Sea Places, Reverend Toole, the former pastor at the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City, points out that this story really is a phenomenal story. The people of Israel had an obstacle in front of them, so they couldn't go forward. And they had an obstacle behind them, so they couldn't go backward. Where could they go? They were trapped. And yet God made a way when there was no way. Tool asked an important question. Where is it that place or where is that place for you where you can't go forward and you can't go back? Where is that place where you are kind of stuck? Where is that place that leaves you feeling paralyzed and not sure what to do? Reverend Tool calls these places Red Sea Places but also another name for it called liminal space. Liminal actually means threshold. And it's when someone is standing in the threshold of what was and what is to be, the past and the future, the familiar and the yet foreseen. Where is there a Red Sea place in your life? Sometimes these moments are dramatic, like a situation the Israelites faced with the Egyptians hot on their trail and a sea before them. But most of the time, these Red Sea moments are ordinary moments and situations in our lives. I'm thinking of someone I know who boldly moved to a new city to have a new experience and to get away from the old routine and tired existence they had before she moved. But now that she has moved, she's having a difficult time making ends meet. It wasn't as easy as she thought it would be. Since she is new to the area, she doesn't know a whole lot of people that can help out with things. What should she do? Return home and back to the town and the situation that she needed to leave in the first place? Or stick out, even if it means lonely Friday nights and not knowing how she'll make it? Does she risk rejection and continue to try to make new friends in her new city? Or does she come back home to the same old, same old of the place she was getting away from? She can't go forward. She can't go back. She's in a Red Sea place. I'm thinking of someone I know who wants to go back to school to get a master's degree. Instead, it would help his professional development. And he's put it off for quite a while. If he's going to do it, he should do it soon. But his wife is pregnant with a baby due this winter. 
She's going to have to stay home to care for the newborn, meaning she can't work, at least not for a while. While going back to school might help his professional development, he also knows that he would be the only breadwinner for his growing family. And he knows that grad school does not pay as much as his full-time job. In fact, he might have to take out more loans. What is he to do? Does he go to school furthering his education and skill set that will hopefully eventually further his career? Or does he keep his job, especially in these unstable times, knowing it will provide right now for his family, but at the same time risk what might be his only chance for grad school? He can't go forward. He can't go back. He's in Red Sea Place. I'm thinking of someone I know who is trying to decide whether or not to put their parent in a nursing home. They know they can't care for their parents' needs and they have already sacrificed so much for them. But they also know that the parent does not want to go to a nursing home. What to do? On one hand, there's the safety and the health of the parent to think about and they would get a good care at the nursing home. On the other hand, there's a sense that they would be taking away something the parent holds dear, freedom. They are stuck. They can't go forward. They can't go back. They are in a Red Sea place. What about all of us? I think we would all agree that we'd love to go back to how things were before the pandemic, but we know we can't. And trying to figure out and find a way forward is nothing short of a daunting task. We can't go back to how it was, but we can't rush full steam ahead either. How do we function as a society in a way that is safe, smart, reasonable, and healthy? We are in a Red Sea place. So many of us are struggling over what we can and cannot do, where we can and cannot go, from kids in schools to restaurants and businesses, even to churches, even here at Richmond Hill. It feels like a Red Sea place. There's so much happening in our country right now. How many of us are wondering how we will ever go forward? And we know it might not be possible to go back to a pre-pandemic world, even a pre-9-11 world and life as we knew it. You could say that we are in a Red Sea place. But we remember the story of the Exodus. We remember that God does provide a way. We remember how our God is not a far off and distant God, but a God who breaks into the story of our lives, sometimes in small and subtle ways and sometimes in dramatic and surprising ways, even in Red Sea places. We can see that somehow God ultimately allows us to go forward. Somehow, some way, in the case of the Israelites, it was literally going through the water, not over or around, but through the water. What a surprise that must have been for them. As they stood on the water's edge, they must have thought they were stuck. They couldn't go forward. They couldn't go back. And then God breaks in and delivers away. 
This begs the question for those of us in a Red Sea place. Are you willing to be surprised by God? And do you believe that God can work in your life? If so, then we remember that even though God parted the Red Sea, the Israelites still had to take that first uncertain step into the mud and the muck as they began to cross through where the water had just been. It probably meant getting some mud between their toes and on their clothes that they were wearing. Things could easily get messy. Taking that shaky first step might mean walking into an unknown territory. I wonder if there's anyone here listening that needs to take that risky and shaky first step. Maybe it is a shaky step toward healing a frayed relationship. Or maybe it is a shaky first step and having a difficult, much-needed conversation with someone. Or maybe it's a shaky first step in updating and sending your resume for that job you've been working, wondering about. Maybe you feel called to take a risky first step out to help those in our world who are living with the reality of poverty, racism, or any other hardship. Or maybe, on a day like today, that first step might be a shaky first step toward forgiving your enemy. Of course, we don't take that step forward alone. God leads us. Even though the Israelites took that first step out, it was God who made it possible. It is God who is at work and saves them, delivers them, and provides a way for the Israelites, those who had known all too well terror, fear, exhaustion, oppression, heavy burdens, and Red Sea places. And may it be for so and may it be so for us. We don't have to be perfect or even come up with every answer on our own. Oftentimes, we describe someone who is perfect as being able to walk on water. Well, there's only one who can do that, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who is perfect and needs no help. But for folks like you and me, perhaps the perfect thing to do is to trust that God still delivers and willing to walk through the water. You know, this is the first time I've preached in a while. And it's only taken 199 takes to get it recorded. I'm not perfect. My speech is not always clear. But I know that God walks with me. And I know that God has given me gifts and calls me in ministry. 19 years ago, and in the time that followed, there has been a lot of faith and doubt at Ground Zero and around the country. People were asking, where was God? We're still asking that question. But we would be naive to think 
We get to go through life without any bumps and bruises, without making any mistakes. We forget that God does not promise a life free from pain, as if nothing bad would ever happen to us. Instead, God promises to be with us in those times and places. God does not keep us from the darkest valley, but God does promise to walk through it with us until we reach the other side. Thanks be to God that our God does not only walk on the water, but our God will walk through the water with us. Our God will make a way when there doesn't seem to be one. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen.